welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. How are you doing on this uh, this week up to Christmas? Yes. Uh, gotta say, I'm looking forward to having a few days off. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's been all... I, I mean, everybody... We're all blue in the face saying that we can't wait till 2020 is over. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty sure I think it was the McElroys that were making fun of the fact that as soon as it ticks over to January 1st, that everything, all all of the terrible things are just going to melt away. And 2021 is going to be a a stress-free, problem-free year full of health, wealth, and prosperity for each and every one of us, regardless of our situation. So I choose to believe that, even though that was said in, in the utmost sarcasm by Griffin McElroy. But I choose to take, I would say, the high road. Um, yeah, I agree. Let's all go into this optimistic, following yeah. rules, and believing yes. in science. Exactly. And that's it. That's all you have to do to have the best possible year moving forward. And I think uh, everyone under the power of my voice, I want you to believe that. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, we have a lot of power here. <laughs> You're at misinformation. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, you know, hopefully that'll mean a return to pub trivia, you know? Oh, that's what I'm, from your mouth to God's mouth. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, tonight I decided that I was going to pick a topic. Okay. And I've kind of created a new series here <gasps> on this podcast. Ooh, a series okay. within a podcast series. Um, I'm going to call it Unmixing. And Ooh. what that means is I am going to take a couple of different, uh, different phrases or people or events or whatever that we all seem to get confused all the time. And oh. I am going to break them down so that we don't get confused by them anymore. For example, famously... Okay. I can't keep straight Moonstruck, Mermaids, and Beaches. Mm, and mm-hmm. yes. so Lauren took me to see Moonstruck, and I saw it. And so mm-hmm. now I understand what Moonstruck is. And yes. I know that Mermaids has share in it. You are but correct. there are no real mermaids in it. No. No, it's a metaphor. And Beaches... <laughs> Does not have share and no. also has no mermaids in it. Nope. And that's as far as I've gotten. Um, I also, and I've said this before all the time, I confuse Ryan Adams, Brian Adams, and mm-hmm. Brian McKnight. So, for example, that could be an upcoming topic on Unmixing. Okay. I love this. But tonight, I am, tonight's title is Unmixing, Doubting Thomas's. I am talking about historic guys named Thomas that were all super involved in the Catholic Church or the Church of England. This is great. I love this. I'm glad you're going into this with such enthusiasm because after I said all guys named Thomas super involved in the Catholic Church, Uh I'm sure people were like, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm trying. Okay. So I'm talking about five guys tonight, all named Thomas. All right. And I have mixed them up before. So tonight, mm. I'm going to make sure that we don't do that anymore. Wonderful. All right. First guy, Thomas Beckett. Yes. Okay. Born around uh, 1120 and died in 1170. He's also known as St. Thomas of Canterbury, or um, sometimes people refer to him as Thomas a Beckett. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so Thomas Beckett, he is venerated as a saint and martyr by both the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church. Um, He engaged in conflict with Henry II, King of England, over the rights and privileges of the church, and at one point he excommunicated the Archbishop of York. So Thomas Becket ran away to France for a bit under the protection of King Louis VII of France, but then he returned in 1170 to England. So Henry II of England said something to the effect of like, ugh, this guy, he's driving me crazy. (laughs) And four of his knights interpreted this as a command to go get rid of Thomas Beckett. Hmm. So on December 29th, 1170, Reginald Fitzertz, Hugh de Morville, 
William de Tracy and Richard Le Breton showed up at Canterbury Cathedral. According to accounts left by the monk Gervais of Canterbury and an eyewitness named Edward Grimm, the knights placed their weapons under a tree outside the cathedral and hid their chainmail armor under cloaks before entering the cathedral to challenge Becket, a priest. The knights Jeez. told Beckett that they were taking him to Winchester, England, to give an account of all of his actions and to kind of like hold him accountable in front of people. But Beckett refused. So the four knights retrieved their weapons and rushed back inside the cathedral. Oh, my God. Uh, Beckett proceeded to the main hall for <clears throat> evening prayers, and the other monks tried to like bolt themselves into different parts of the cathedral for safety. Oh, okay. But Beckett said to them, it is not right to make a fortress out of a house of prayer. And he mm. ordered them to reopen the doors. So the four knights, wielding their drawn swords, ran into the room saying like, where's Thomas Beckett? He's a traitor to the king. The knights found Beckett in a spot near the door of the monastic cloister, the stairs into the crypt, and the stairs leading up to the choir of the cathedral, where the monks were all there like still saying their prayers. Like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yep. So, uh, all right. There's just four guys this is happening. Like, running in with it. Okay. Upon seeing them, Beckett said, I am no traitor and I am ready to die. So um, uh. Edward Grimm, the eyewitness, he wrote a very extensive account of exactly what happened. I will save you all the details. Let's just say that four knights wielding swords killed a priest in Canterbury Cathedral. That's terrible. So soon after his death, the faithful throughout Europe began venerating Becket as a martyr. And in February 1173, which was just a little more than two years after his death, he was canonized by Pope Alexander III. And so oh, sure. typically like canonization of saints takes like decades, maybe yeah, centuries really after time. stuff happened. So the fact that this happened so quickly was kind of a, you know, saying that this guy was a big deal. So related trivia facts about Thomas Beckett. Geoffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, written in 1392, is set in a company of pilgrims on their way from Southwark to the shrine of St. Thomas Beckett in Canterbury oh, Cathedral. Okay. I never made that connection. No, me neither. No. Ever. Okay. Um, so the shrine there was built between 1180 and 1220, and up to 100,000 pilgrims would have visited the shrine every year for more than 300 years. That's oh my gosh. a lot. Yeah, um, that's a lot. So it was adorned in marble, gold, and jewels, and the murdered saint's tombs was one of unparalleled splendor. In 1538, during the Reformation, the shrine was destroyed following the orders of Henry VIII, who mm. we will definitely be talking about in a little bit. But oh in 2020, researchers digitally reconstructed the raised sanctuary, and Get it's available out. to view on the Beckett story online. And we'll share a link to that because it's really interesting how they did that. Like they took, um, you know, this this thing had been such a big deal for more than 300 years, and then it was mm -hmm. raised more than, you know, 450 plus years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. And so they took um, accounts that the pilgrims had made or that other monks had made into and digitally recreated it, which is pretty yeah. cool. And also, modern works based on the story of Thomas Beckett include T.S. Eliot's 1935 play, Murder in the Cathedral, later okay. adapted as the opera Assassinino nella Cattedrale by Ildebrando Pizzetti in 1958. <laughs> did I do that okay? <laughs> you did that, can I tell you? Flawlessly. Um, there's also a 1959 play by um, Jean Ennui called Beckett which was made into a movie with the same title and Paul Webb's play Four Nights in Knaresborough, which was written in 1999, which recounts the aftermath of the murder of Thomas Beckett by the four knights who, quote, made the worst career choice in history. <laughs> yeah, that's goes without saying. So if you don't, if all of these facts don't stick in your head, look at the name Beckett, B-E-C-K-E-T. The K okay. in his name is right in the middle. And if you look at it, it looks like four blades, just oh, that's stuck very good. In the name. So four blades stuck together by the four knights who killed him in Canterbury. That's how you okay. remember Thomas Beckett. That's great. Boom. Perfect. Next, Love that. We're going to your homeland to talk about Thomas Aquinas. Buffalo? <laughs> noted 13th century Saint <laughs> Thomas Aquinas. Um, <laughs> he was also called Tommaso d'Aquino or Saint mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas. Um, was around from 1225 to 1274. So he was an Italian Dominican friar, philosopher, Catholic priest, and doctor of the church. He is considered one of the Catholic church's greatest theologians and philosophers. And at the time, he kind of went against what the church 
was kind of spouting out, um, Thomas mm-hmm. embraced several ideas put forward by Aristotle, whom he called the philosopher, and attempted to synthesize Aristotelian philosophy with the principles of Christianity. I see. Okay. So Thomas Aquinas, or Tommaso d'Aquino, um, he spent much of his time in Naples, Rome, and Paris. Um, his best known works are The Disputed Questions on Truth from 1256 to 1259, The Summa Contra Gentiles, uh, 1259 to 1265 is when that was written, and The Unfinished but massively influential, and everybody should know this one, the Summa Theologica from 1265 mm. to 1274. So Summa Contra Gentiles translates in English to book on the truth of the Catholic faith against the errors of the unbelievers. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Summa Theologica translates to summary of theology, a little easier. So yeah. the Summa Theologica intended to explain the Christian faith to beginning theology students, while the Summa Contra Gentiles was meant to explain the Christian faith and defend it in hostile situations with arguments adapted to the intended circumstances of its use. So uh, the Summa Contra Gentiles was a little more like you're defending your faith and the Summa mm-hmm. Theologica is kind of explaining the Christian faith. I see. Yeah. Uh, um, in May 1274, on his way to the Second Council of Lyon, which was intended to heal a schism between the Latin and Greek churches, while riding on a donkey along the Apian Way, Thomas Aquinas Uh-oh. hit his head on the branch of a tree and became what? seriously ill after that. He was escorted to the Monte Cassino to convalesce, and after resting for a while, he set out again, but was then he stopped at the Cistercian Fossanova Abbey after again falling ill. And the monks nursed him there for several days, but he received his last rites and died there on March 7th, 1274. How soft was this guy's skull? Where he was just like, he gets one quick conk on the head from a tree branch, and that leads to his untimely demise. That seems crazy to me. You know what? Out of all the guys we're talking about tonight, he went like the easy. Oh, no. He went the easy route, okay? <laughs> Let's just say that. Oh, poor guy. So Thomas Aquinas canonized as a saint in 1323, 50 years after he died by Pope John the 22nd. Related facts about Thomas Aquinas. For centuries, there were recurring claims that Thomas Aquinas had the ability to levitate. Now, if if you've done a lot of studies of saints and... Um, you know, miracles and mm-hmm, things of that mm-hmm. nature when you're reading about the Catholic faith. Um, this is one of those things that is like a big deal, you know. Comes up a lot, yeah. Just to, yeah, just saying. Okay. Um, in the Divine Comedy, Dante sees the glorified soul of Thomas Aquinas in the heaven of the sun with the other great exemplars of religious wisdom. And huh. Dante asserts in that book that Thomas died by poisoning. So just oh, saying. Oh, so that's interesting. Lauren did a great episode on um, Dante's Inferno, uh, which is one of the chapters of the Divine Comedy. Check that out. It's very, it's it's very, very good. good. It's very good. Thomas Aquinas is the patron saint of Catholic schools, universities, and colleges. And how do you keep him straight with all the other guys? Aquinas, he's also, was originally called Tommaso D'Aquino. D'Aquino, from Italy, where Latin began. He's best known for the Summa Theologica. That is mm. a Latin title. Yeah. And also, I put here, died in a completely normal way. <laughs> I mean. I mean, you know, in riding by a donkey, comparison. Riding his head on a branch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like, accidents yeah. happen, right? Oh, well, all, every day. Every day. <laughs> all right. So far, so good? Yes, I'm. I'm feeling great about right. this. So now we're jumping ahead about 200 years. We're we're in England during okay. the reign of King Henry VIII. Mm, that this guy. guy. So first, Thomas More, M O R E, was alive from 1478 to 1535, and he is also called Saint Thomas More. So Thomas More was an English lawyer, social philosopher, author, statesman, and a Renaissance humanist. He studied at Oxford University and received a classical education there before he left Oxford to begin legal training in London. And according to his theologian friend Erasmus, More considered abandoning his legal career to become a monk. Moore wrote Utopia, published in 1516, which describes the political system of an imaginary island state. It was written in Latin, and it was only translated into English in 1551, which was almost two decades after he died. Mm. So the book is a frame narrative, primarily depicting a fictional island society and its religious, social, and political customs. Um, Moore even created an alphabet and a language for his inhabitants in the book. And many aspects of Moore's descriptions of Utopia are reminiscent of life 
in monasteries. So the title of the book has since kind of eclipsed the original story and his original Mm. intentions. And the term utopia is basically now commonly used to describe an idyllic imaginary society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Moore served Henry VIII as the Lord High Chancellor of England from 1529 to 1532. He opposed the Protestant Reformation and Henry VIII's separation from the Catholic Church and refused to acknowledge Henry as the supreme head of the Church of England, as well as the annulment of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Uh Uh, For a refresher on this, remember to check out episode 13, The Merry Wives of Tudor. It's all about the wives of Henry VIII. Anyway, back to more. After refusing to take the oath of supremacy, he was convicted of treason and Mm. executed by decapitation on... July 6th, 1535. <gasps> oh no, that's my birthday. Yep. Maybe his spirit was imbued inside of me. As you can tell, I am very <laughs> philosophical, also religious. <laughs> and I, I I, think that you don't acknowledge Henry VIII as the Supreme Church. I do you know, not. The Supreme Head of the Church of England either. Um, anyway, Thomas Moore <laughs> buried at the Tower of London in the chapel of St. Peter Advincula in an unmarked grave. And mm. of course, because of England, oh, his boy. head was fixed on a pike over the London Bridge for a yeah. month, according to oh, the normal custom for traitors. You know. For a whole month? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Some, I mean, I w- t- Oliver Cromwell's head was up there for like decades. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I forgot about that. I was going to say that must have smelled terribly, but mm, London smelled terribly up until I would say probably like 1975. So, you know. Exactly. It was just it, another day. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own, I guess. But. Just another day in London. In, in, old, in old London. We, you know, we've done a lot of episodes about London. We the do. Fires, well, the plagues, yeah. the kings, yeah. the queens. Yeah. Well, things things went things broke bad there quite fre- frequently <laughs> throughout the years. And, you know, I took an early modern London class and that stuff just kind of s- sank deep into the old oh, brain jelly. Yes. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably branch out a little bit from that tiny island. <laughs> You know Not what, that though? we don't love like, it. This history comes up. So, yeah, that's just true. Saying. Um, so, Pope Pius XI canonized Moore in 1935 as a martyr. Oh. So, this was that was 400 years after he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pope John Paul II in 2000 declared him the patron saint of statesmen and politicians. Mm-hmm. I don't oh really know how much that's helping, but anyway. <laughs> it's, it's not. I can tell you right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, He's some, not helping anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Some related trivia facts about Thomas More. He also wrote the history of King Richard III between 1512 and 1519, oh. which greatly influenced the 1593 play Richard III by none hey. other than Billy Shakespeare. Yeah. Huh. I had no idea. Yes. I thought that was an original history of Billy Shakes, but... I mean, he so, was like... But like William Shakespeare wasn't alive during Richard III's reign. That's true. So that's true. Yeah. He needed to he needed get some his source material. material from somewhere. He was, you're right. You know, basically like Lin Manuel Miranda of of the 16th century. <sighs> oh my God, you are absolutely correct on that. And I didn't that I, I didn't even think of that as like a one to one. But it's true. <laughs> that's wild. Why are we the first purple people to say that? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. Um, I think that's because we're we're brilliant. Yeah, take that quotation and attribute it to us. Tm 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 tm. That's us. Um, Related, also because people love writing plays about these guys named Tom. Uh, The 20th century playwright Robert Bolt portrayed Thomas More as the tragic hero of his 1960 play A Man for All Seasons. So that was adapted into a film in 1966 and won the Oscar for Best Picture and Paul Schofield won the Best Actor Oscar for playing Mm. Thomas More. Um, So how do you remember this guy? In your own version of Utopia, you can have more of whatever you want. Mm, That's very good. More... Utopia. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's great. I love that. All right. So that so Thomas More was fourteen seventy eight to fifteen thirty five. Next okay. guy, Thomas Cromwell, fourteen eighty five to fifteen forty. 
Okay. He was an English lawyer and a statesman who served as chief minister to King Henry VIII from 1534 to 1540. He was one of the strongest and most powerful proponents of the English Reformation. And he helped mm. to engineer the annulment of the king's marriage to Catherine of Aragon so mm. that Henry could lawfully marry Anne Boleyn. And he played a prominent role in Anne Boleyn's downfall. Uh-oh. All right. So Cromwell later arranged the king's marriage to the German princess Anne of Cleves, hoping that the marriage would breathe fresh life into the Reformation in England. But oh, as we all know, Henry found his new bride unattractive, and yep. it was basically a complete disaster for Cromwell. Um, and it ended in an annulment of that marriage six months later. So so Cromwell, Cromwell was basically like Henry's fixer. Like he yes, was like his man on the inside. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. He was the chief mm. minister. So he was like... Yeah, basically like the chief of staff yeah, to yeah. King Henry VIII. But uh, Henry <laughs> didn't like the fact that he was set up with this very dowdy old German princess as his <laughs> wife because she wasn't going to give him any any more sons. So um, figures like he was some like he was a handsome prince. Like give me a break. But yeah, well, Henry Henry VIII was running. Iron Fist at that point in time. Yeah, so that's true. His former best friend, Cromwell, essentially, um, he was arraigned under a bill of attainder and executed for treason and heresy on Tower oh, Hill boy. on July 28th, 1540. Afterward, his head set on a spike on London mm. Bridge. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is noted that the king later expressed regret at the loss of his chief minister. Oh, the loss. Like it just happened. Yeah. Oh, like he just, oh. like he fell into an executioner and had his head lopped off by accident. <laughs> Come on. Take so- responsibility for your actions, Henry Eight. Hey. Come on. That's just, I'm sorry. That's just my. That's just the Thomas More inside of me really reacting to this. Yes, I that's apologize. great because Thomas Cromwell definitely knew Thomas More, and they yeah. were in fact pretty much rivals. Mm. So some more related trivia facts about Thomas Cromwell. Cromwell is the subject of Hilary Mantel's two Man Booker Prize winning novels, Wolf Hall from 2009 and Bring Up the Bodies from 2012 and the final volume in the trilogy, The Mirror and the Light, published in 2020, Mm -hmm. which are a sympathetic fictionalized biography of Thomas Cromwell. And in the BBC's six part series, Wolf Hall, he is played by Mark Rylance. So how do you keep track of this guy's name? Cromwell. All right. It Mm -hmm. has a C and an M in it. He was Henry VIII's chief minister oh well. okay and also <laughs> cromwell c-r-o-m-w-e-l-l that is eight letters it is the same number of letters as wolf hall and ends in a double l also good job there you go and finally our last guy named tom tonight thomas cranmer from 1489 mm. to 1556. So he was a leader of the English Reformation and the Archbishop of Canterbury from 1532 to 1555. Uh, he studied at Cambridge, where he was portrayed as a humanist with enthusiasm for biblical scholarship, as all of our favorite, you know, topics yeah, in college absolutely. were. So Thomas Cranmer helped to build the case for the annulment of Henry's marriage to Catherine of Aragon. And in 1532, he was appointed the regent ambassador at the court of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. And while traveling around Europe with Charles, Cranmer received a royal letter informing him that he had, surprise, been appointed the new Archbishop of Canterbury, a post (gasps) secured for him by the family of Anne Boleyn. Uh, He was the first Protestant to hold the position of Archbishop of Canterbury. In 1533, he pronounced the judgment of Henry VIII and Anne's secret marriage that they had earlier that year as valid, and he personally crowned and anointed Anne the Queen of England in June 1533. When Anne gave birth to Elizabeth, Cranmer baptized her and acted as one of her godparents. Hmm. Cranmer wrote and compiled the first two editions of the Book of Common Prayer, a complete liturgy for the English church in 1548 to 1549. And with the assistance of several continental reformers to whom he gave refuge, he changed doctrine or discipline in such areas as the Eucharist, clerical celibacy, the role of images in places of worship, and the veneration of saints. Cranmer promoted the new doctrines through the prayer book, the homilies, and other publications. All right. He's Protestant. He's head of the church. Mm -hmm. Everything's going good. Uh, Then, you know, Henry dies. 
and his son oh. Edward takes over, and then his son, you know, and then Edward dies. Then we yeah. got Mary. Mary the first took the throne. Yes. Right. Remember, Mary was Catholic. She yes. was the daughter of Catherine of Aragon. She's exactly. not happy with Thomas Cranmer. So Cranmer and two others were put on trial for treason and heresy. Hmm. Everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite catchphrase. <laughs> so he was in prison for over two years and under pressure from church authorities, Cranmer made several recantations and apparently reconciled himself with the Catholic Church. So this normally would have absolved him, but Mary and didn't like him grudge holder mm. that mary yeah, she wanted she really him was. executed and on the day of his execution he actually re- withdrew his recantations to die a heretic to catholics and a martyr for the principles of the english reformation and he mm. said that as a consequence of him initially signing the recantations with his right hand it would be the first to be burnt at his execution yes now the other guys they got their heads chopped off and stuck on a pike yeah not this not this round mary oh no had these three guys, um, Thomas Cranmer, Hugh Latimer, and Nicholas Ridley, burned at the stake. Oh, oh, that hurts so bad. Yep. So as the flames drew around him, uh, Cranmer fulfilled his promise by placing his right hand into the heart of the fire while saying that that unworthy hand would go first. And again, burned at the stake in Oxford on March 21st, 1556. Damn. So related trade facts. He definitely knew Thomas Cromwell also and collaborated yeah. with him on a lot of things pre-Henry VIII. Uh, today, tourists and visitors to Oxford can see the Martyr's Memorial and the cross on the road, which marks the site where Cranmer, Latimer, and Ridley were burned at the stake. Jeez. Just really super uplifting and stuff. The memorial is gorgeous. Like, it's very oh, yeah. it's very distinctive on the main road there. But there's a mm-hmm. there's a just, a, you know, the paved road. And then there's like a little cross on the road that's like, oh, yeah, this is, by the way, this is... <laughs> This is where they were burnt. Okay. Cranmer. How do you remember yeah. that guy? Ready? Cram, yeah. that book of common prayer, and he was executed on orders of Mary. <laughs> Cranmer. Okay. Cram, that right, book I'll of common prayer. Mary had him executed. <laughs> All right? All right. I'll allow it. Yeah, yeah. So, that works. Now you can keep track of Thomas's Beckett, Aquinas, Moore, Cromwell and Cranmer. And three of those guys were very closely connected to Henry VIII. Yes. (laughs) That was great. Um, Also, quick recommendation, because you mentioned um, Canterbury Cathedral a couple Mm -hmm. of times. Um, There is a TV series called... Tony Robinson's Great British Cathedrals. Okay. And each episode, uh, Tony Robinson, who is uh, the previous host of Time Team, and also a comedian, a British comedian, he was in Blackadder. And he uh, goes clambering around all of these like famous cathedrals in England and talks about their history and like goes like behind the scenes to some really cool like up up like way high on the oh, roof love or like it. up in like the belfry and that kind of thing. So you get to see some really cool stuff. And he talks about uh, Canterbury in a in a big way. Um, and actually, like, sort of recreates the moment where um, where Thomas Beckett gets gets stabbed a bunch of times, and he even does like a dramatic reading of "Who will rid me of this troublesome priest?" Yes, um, it's very good. So I highly recommend that TV show. It's it's a BBC series. They aired it in Australia recently. Just an FYI, Steve downloaded it for us, and it's very good. It's so. funny that you said that quote, um, the troublesome priest, because it is disputed. Like it's been passed down through the through mm. you know centuries that that's the thing that he said. And actually, it was Simon Shama that has uh, has disputed it. And I was reading more about more <gasps> about him and how he you know was kind of doing research, and I was like, ah. I don't need to include that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You brought it up, so. <laughs> My boy, Simon Shama. Exactly. I would trust him. I would trust him explicitly. Exactly. So. All right, time for the quiz. Yes. The quiz is called Origins of the Tom Tom Club. This is a quiz on talking heads and the babysitter's club. Oh my God. Okay. Question one. I'm going to speak some talking heads lyrics and you just have to correctly name the song. And you may ask yourself, how do I work this? And you may ask yourself, where is that large automobile? And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful house. And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful wife. Question two. Please name for me the original four members of the Babysitter's Club. Extra points if you can tell me their last names and the positions they held within the club. 
Question three, prior to winning an Oscar for directing The Silence of the Lambs in 1991, what guy directed the 1984 Talking Heads concert film, Stop Making Sense? Sorry, not sorry, but I'm confident you can name him. Question four, simple question. Is Anne M. Martin a real person or just a pseudonym for a group of ghostwriters of the Babysitter's Club? Question five. After Talking Heads disbanded in December 1991, Tina Weymouth, Chris France, and Jerry Harrison formed another side project band in 1996, releasing a critically panned album called No Talking, Just Head. What was the name of this band, which might be considered an allusion to the fact that vocalist David Byrne was the only former member not involved? Question six. Within 10... How many books are there in the original series of The Babysitter's Club? Not counting things like super specials, mysteries, or spinoffs. Question seven. True or false? Talking heads have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Question eight. What is the fictional Connecticut town where the majority of the Babysitter's Club series takes place? Its name sounds just like the real-life largest public university in the state of New York. Question 9. You Talking, Talking Heads to My Talking Head is a limited podcast series by Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott. I mean, superfan Adam Scott Ackerman on the Earwolf Network. It's actually the third of their special band-based podcast series. Name either of the other two, which debuted in 2014 and 2018, respectively. And finally, question 10. Name me any of the adult actors who play parents or step-parents of the Babysitter's Club members in the 2020 Babysitter's Club series on Netflix. I'll give you about a minute to think and be back with your answers. I'm going to do really terribly. <laughs> Were you not a Babysitter's Club girl? No, I didn't read a single book. <gasps> I didn't watch a single TV show. I didn't. <laughs> so sorry. What were you Julia's... reading in fourth grade? I was reading. What was I reading? I was reading. Um, oh, you know what I was reading? I was reading the Boxcar Children and I wasn't even Ugh. enjoying it. I wasn't even enjoying it. That's the thing. Exactly. Those they were, were the worst. Were terrible. They were terrible. Don't get me wrong. You should have been reading about some some cool teens i guess i should have been reading about some cool teens i mean i don't know what's wrong with me anyway (laughs) (laughs) anyway um, all right okay i'm gonna try i'm gonna try this all right i'm gonna try this all right question one i will speak some talking heads lyrics you just have to correctly name the song and you may ask yourself how do i work this and you may ask yourself where is that large automobile And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful house. And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful wife. Uh, This is once in a lifetime. This is once in a lifetime. (laughs) Of course, you are correct. Um, It's from 1981. It's Mm -hmm. from the Talking Heads. Sorry, not the Talking Heads, just Talking Heads. Mm -hmm, Like the mm -hmm. Eagles are not the Eagles. They're just Eagles. Okay. I mean, everybody. Once in a Lifetime (laughs) is from Talking Heads' fourth studio album, Remain in Light. It was produced and co-written by Brian Eno. And David Byrne's lyrics and vocals were inspired by preachers delivering sermons. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Huh. All right. Question two. 
please name for me the original four members of the Babysitter's Club. Extra points if you can tell me their last names and the positions they held within the club. Okay. I don't know at all, so I'm Great. just going to throw out some names. Okay. All right. I'm going to throw out some 80s, 70s, and 80s names. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> just, just you know, right. teen girl names. Just teen some teen, names. Girl, teen names. girl names. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Cindy, Jessica, Kelly, and Jenny. None of those are right. Ah, okay. damn it. <laughs> Christy Thomas is president. Claudia okay. Kishi is vice president. Marianne Spear is secretary. And Stacey McGill is treasurer. Oh, All right. <laughs> Question Stacey. Oh, Stacey's a good one. I should have thought of Stacey. Yeah. She was from New York City. She was the coolest. And she had diabetes, which was her big secret. But sorry. I, mean. I just saw, you know, what's so weird. I just saw a tweet about that, that someone was like, when I was... 30 years ago when I was diagnosed with uh, with diabetes as a teen, I felt better about it because if, because Stacy from the from uh-huh. the babysitters club also had diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that today and it, it, it didn't even like pop into uh. my head until just now. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Oh well. Oh, Question well. three. Prior to winning an Oscar for directing The Silence of the Lambs in 1991, what guy directed the 1984 Talking Heads concert film Stop Making Sense? Sorry, not sorry, but I'm confident you can name him. Um, is this is this Jonathan Dem? Yes, it's Ooh. Demi. I looked it up, which is oh, why it's Demi. I Demi Lovato <laughs> lyrics. Oh, oh, okay. I was wondering what that was because yeah. I was like, I think it's Jonathan Dem. I don't think I've ever heard his name actually spoken. So yes, okay, you are correct. Cool. It's Jonathan Demi. Um, so the film Stop Making Sense was hailed by Leonard Maltin as, quote, one of the greatest rock movies ever made. And the it's filming of Stop Making Sense spanned four live shows at the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles, pioneering the use of 24-track digital sound recording, which resulted in a particularly clear soundtrack. Um, side note, Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, and Best Actress which was huge. Oh my gosh. And Demi then used his influence from the success of that to make Philadelphia in 1993, which was inspired by his friend's experience with AIDS. Oh, that's a great movie too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Demi passed away in 2017 of esophageal cancer and Mm -hmm. um, he was later thanked by, you know, many, many directors who, you know, claimed that he was such a great influence on their works. But he was also thanked in the credits of Spike Lee's 2020 concert film, American Utopia, which starred David burn yeah i mean uh uh your the lauren and josh movie club uh had a had a screening of american utopia <laughs> because there are movies that josh and i want to see that julia and my husband steve do not want to see so it's the lauren and josh movie club we before in the before times we would go to movies together <laughs> <laughs> because it was something either uh body horror or weird or or talking heads related yes (laughs) exactly all right question four simple question is Anne m martin a real person or just a pseudonym for a group of ghostwriters for the babysitters club i'm gonna say it's a pseudonym it's a group of ghostwriters Anne m martin is a real person oh my god she actually did only write the first 35 novels in the series and scholastic hired ghostwriters to continue the series but she is a real person she goes on tour she talks about stuff um this was kind of similar to the sweet valley high series which was credited to francine pascal um she wrote you know the first couple dozen of those and then the rest were kind of farmed out to a team of ghostwriters just because they were you know they were churning out new one every month at that point exactly Okay, question five. After Talking Heads disbanded in December 1991, Tina Weymouth, Chris France, and Jerry Harrison formed another side project band in 1996, releasing a critically panned album called No Talking, Just Head. What was the name of this band, which might be considered an allusion to the fact that vocalist David Byrne was the only former member not involved? Is this, um, their side project was called, uh, was it like Shrunken Heads? Ooh, so, so they toured together without Burn in the early '90s as the okay. Shrunken Heads, but they didn't release an album under oh, that. Okay, because so, it's not Tom Tom Club. Because I know Tina Weymouth Tom was Tom in Tom Tom Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is it just? Is it just Heads? I don't know. Is it just Heads? It's the Heads. Oh, it's the Heads. Yes. Okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> All right. So yeah, the Heads released an album called No Talking, Just Head. 
so David Byrne sued the heads, asserting <laughs> that their name and Sounds presentation right. was too evocative of talking heads and put an end to those further reaching plans, although the suit was settled out of court and that album was still released. It featured a number of kind of rotating vocalists, including Debbie Harry of Blondie, Johnette Napolitano of Concrete Blonde, Andy Partridge of XTC, uh, Gordon Gannano of Violent Femmes, and Michael Hutchins of NXS. Oh, so, hey, wow. Because these were just like musicians <laughs> that yeah. didn't have their lead vocalist. They <laughs> needed some vocalists to come on and be the sure. talking part for the heads. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yes. sense. All right, question six. <laughs> Within 10, how many books are there in the original <laughs> series of Babysitter's Club? Not counting things like super specials, mysteries, or other spinoffs. I, I, I just threw out a number... I'm going to say uh, 80. There are 131 books in the original series. Julia, I swear to God, I had the number 131 written down Show here. Me. <laughs> I'll give it I will to you. St- I'll give it to you if you show me. I, I Look, Wait, I'm going to take a picture of this. Here we go. I'm going to take a picture of this. <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm sending it to you right now. Uh-huh. And then I changed it to 130. And then I was like, no, it couldn't possibly be that many. You'll see. You'll see. I had 131. And then I put the zero. And then I was like, no, she it did. couldn't be that much. Yeah, she did. She wrote 131. <laughs> she just didn't say it out loud like I she should have. Because you, you had said like she wrote the first 31. And I was like, I well, they couldn't the have had 35. other people write. Oh, 35. I'm sorry. Just saying. But then I was like, it couldn't be another 100 or so or, you know, almost 100 books written by other people. I got to go with a lower number. No. You know what? Don't give it to me because that's on me. That's on me. There are 131 books in the original series of Babysitter's Club. Oh, my God. It was initially only planned as a four book series. But after the first four novels were very successful, Scholastic ordered two more and then it ordered 12 more and then kept ordering more as the series grew in popularity. And by the time the sixth novel was published, the first printing was up to 100,000 copies, which is you know, yeah. pretty good at the time. And when the publishing ceased in 2000, there were a total of 213 novels published in the whole series. So oh like this, there were like super specials that it was like a big thick book that each member was doing oh, a different chapter in each of her voice. And then there were mysteries. And oh my oh, God, I, I love them all guys. I love them all. I just never, I never got that experience. I'm so mm. sorry. It's, I feel I feel bad for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that you did that you didn't get that. You know? I know I didn't get it. I didn't I'm sorry. Ugh. Just didn't it didn't pop up on my radar. Mm. I don't know why. Question seven. True or false? Talking heads have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I think it's false. The answer is true. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002, where they reunited to play Life During Wartime, Psycho Killer, and Burning Down the House at the induction ceremony. Huh. You know what? There's the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is such a weird thing. Like some people that you're like, oh, yeah, they're definitely in Mm -hmm. are not. Mm -hmm. And then people who you've never heard of or don't make any sense are in. So whatever. It doesn't seem right to me. But good for them. I mean, I like the talking heads. Good for them. They're in it. All right. Question eight. What is the fictional Connecticut town where the majority of the Babysitter's Club series takes place? Its name sounds just like the real life largest public university in the state of New York. Oh, my God. Um, That's the largest public university in the state of New York. Is it Cooney? (laughs) No. It's not Cooney? Is it SUNY? Well, it it is a SUNY. Oh, okay. Well, which one? SUNY Brockport, SUNY uh, Binghamton, SUNY Stony Brook, SUNY, SUNY Bing, uh, Buffalo. Um, it's not Buffalo. Um, is it Buffalo? No, it's not. Shut up. Um, SUNY Plattsburgh. I'm going to name all the SUNY schools I can think of. You don't have SUNY to name Moore, them all. Why don't you just name one that's big? Oh, oh yeah. What's a big one? Hmm. State University of New York at... I'm going to say Stony Brook. Yes. You're right. You got it. Yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so 
because Stony Brook is is downstate, so it's yes. got to be big. Yes. The town is called Stony Brook, Connecticut, S-T-O-N-E-Y-B-R-O-O-K, mm-hmm. and the real-life hamlet of Stony Space Brook, New York, is on the north shore of Long Island, just across Long Island Sound from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. All right, question nine. Oh, boy. You talking, talking heads to my talking head is a limited podcast series by Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott. I mean, super fan Adam Scott Ackerman on the Earwolf Network. It's actually the third of their special band-based podcast series. Name either of the other two, which debuted in 2014 and 2018, respectively. I'm sure I have heard Josh mention these two yokels' names 150 times. <laughs> And I cannot think of a single, I can't think of a first name. I can't think of a last name. I can't think of anything. So I'm going to say, mm, Harris? No, no, no. You don't have to name the people. You just have to name the pod, the the other podcast. The other podcast series. Yeah. Oh, so you, you talking, talking, talking you, heads to my talking head is the third You one. talking you two to me. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. please. You, you talking you two to me. Too? It's, um, it's the REM one. It's R. <laughs> re re something re me <laughs> something re re rem re me something like that <laughs> yeah it's you talking you two to me and are you talking rem re me <laughs> that's it that's it are you talking rem re me? all right i will give them just uh, so much credit for clever yeah and the third the third Titles. one of course is you talking talking heads to my talking head mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay i'm in it and finally question 10 name me any of the adult actors who play parents or step parents of the babysitters club members in the 2020 babysitters club series on netflix which sidebar was my pick of the pandemic television <laughs> wow i'm gonna have to watch it i guess i mean i'm going in cold um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's a '90s um, teen star, uh, so I'm gonna go with Brian Austin Green. Oh, that's a really great guess. Um, Thanks. Okay, but he wasn't in it. Oh, uh, probably the best known within this series are Alicia Silverstone, okay. plays Elizabeth Christie's mother. Mark Feuerstein plays Watson Christie's stepfather, and the inimitable Mark Evan Jackson plays Richard Marianne's father among others those are probably the three best well-known actors who who show up on this as a a recurring role I wasn't that far off in terms of you know you know my B B list actors who have had you know past experiences with teen TV or film so for so for not knowing anything about the babysitters club Lauren you got like two of those questions right yeah two right one uh nope no i only got one (laughs) i only got the stony brook one right but that's okay you know what that was more than i was expecting so great great job great thanks thank you um (laughs) uh just a reminder to everyone you know we're getting more and more stuff to to, like you know some housekeeping stuff to talk about it's kind of exciting um, so, uh, don't forget, I have a book coming out. Um, it's too late to order for Christmas, uh, especially since it doesn't come out until March, but, uh, it's called you 500 can pre-order pre- it for 2021 Christmas. Yes. You can pre-order it for 2021 Christmas. It's only $30 American. It's called 500 patterns. I co-wrote it with, uh, my very good friends, Jeffrey Mayer and Todd Conover. Um, it is a fashion source book, but it's also just like an art and design source book for different fabric patterns. Um, it's very beautiful, very interesting. We talk about the history of different styles of patterns like florals and geometric and like their ties into different time periods. And it's it's really, really cool. It was a lot of fun to work uh, on. So definitely check that out. Um, also, speaking of books, we have a book to plug. Um Lewis Richards uh, wrote a trivia book called What's the Best Trivia Book? Um, And he is providing it for free on Amazon. So uh, if you go to besttrivia.great.com, that's besttrivia.gr, the numeral eight.com, you can get a copy for free. And he requests um, that uh, if you could give him some feedback, he would love some reviews. So if you go to the website, you can download it and um, give him your feedback. So definitely do that. It is a very cool book. Uh, it's a true lots, delight. 
it's a true delight. It's just a book of trivia facts and questions and games and some really very funny little illustrations and things. So Lewis did a great job and he reached out to us and we are more than happy to plug his book on uh, the podcast. So definitely check that out for when you're just hanging out over your holiday you know, week, you got some time off, you're just hanging around, tired of, you know, scrolling through Netflix, you already watched all the Babysitter's Club, check out Lewis's book. <laughs> uh, and one more thing, while you're listening to this, on Thursday, January 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, mm. Lauren and I will be hosting a virtual trivia night event for the Strong National Museum of Play. So tickets are $10, all the money goes to the museum. Um, we're going to be playing trivia for about an hour. Um, we are pulling questions directly from board games from within the Strong Museum's collections. It's going to be a cool. lot of fun. You can win prizes. Um, you can form a team if you would like. And, you know, we're fine with you, you know, texting or kind of chatting with other people who are also playing. But we just ask that, you know, you guys have all purchased a ticket for the for the event. That'd be great since it's since it's all it's been a fundraiser. Museum. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so it's just, you know, as long as only one person's doing the submission of the answer sheet, we don't care how you guys, you know communicate yeah, and, and come up with your answers and get it done so anyway it will be a lot of fun um you'll get you'll get to actually physically see us and not just listen to our voices us. yes which depending on who you are may be a positive or a negative yeah you know who knows yeah. i'm the pink one and lauren's the green one <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's how we divide ourselves up you know it's very binary julia's the blonde i'm the brunette she's the pink i'm the green that's how, that's how this whole situation works. She's the low voice bitch. I'm a little higher. <laughs> you know, uh, there's more, but we don't have to get into yeah, it. Um, exactly. But definitely we will be posting um, as the, we'll probably start posting it next week. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, On the Facebook and, and the Twitter in case mm -hmm. you're interested. So it's just a link to buy your ticket from the museum. So yeah, again, it'll be a Zoom event. It's about an hour long. Uh, apparently the chase debuts in the u.s that night so you know oh, if you want to yeah. get your brain juices flowing by watching us for an hour before you watch the chase we are that's clear for it yeah and uh while you're at it check out our t public and uh buy some merch plug, uh plug 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 so um yeah thanks everybody for sticking with us thanks everybody please uh, go check out Lewis's book. Uh, definitely come to our trivia night. It's going to be super fun. And if uh, it gets a lot of people to join, maybe we'll be able to be the faces of the Strong Museum of Play. I mean, not wood. You know, <laughs> I think they need 2021. It. The, it's uh, it's a new we're year. We're the mascots. Yeah, we're the mascots. So, well, thanks so much for listening, guys. Yes, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye.